Welcome, my lords, to the Well-Earned Comforts Podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Seth. Thank you for joining us on the Walls of Isengard as we explore the many works of Tolkien and discuss life. We're glad to have you as part of our fellowship, as there's no telling where we'll be swept off to. We're going to babble like Butterfur for a little bit, so Seth, what's going on in your life? Oh, not much. I had my last night shift uh, last night, so I am officially switching to days on Monday, which with... Amanda being pregnant and everything going on. I'm super excited. Night shift is is not for me. I don't enjoy it a whole lot. I don't know who it is for. Honestly, that sounds awful. So that's exciting. You'd, you'd be surprised. There's a lot of guys and gals, I guess, uh, on my unit that have been doing it for 20 years and they love it. And just that's insane. Beyond me. Jeez. Beyond me. What are you what up about, to? Uh, what about your workout life? What's that looking like? Got the home gym in the basement. Yeah, I am lifting about two days a week. I'm still like we were chatting earlier. I re I'm trying to rehab a little bit of a back tweak that seems to flare up every time I play hockey uh, again. So mm. uh, started adjusting my training to be not quite as heavy and more mobility based. So doing modalities like sumo squats and front squat or sumo deadlifts and front squats to try to try to get some more mobility in my, in my hips and whatnot. Um, so I haven't been lifting heavy at all and I'm only lifting about two days a week, but I'm doing more like body weight yoga type stuff as well. Uh, as well as cardio just to try to try to loosen things up. Are you just running for cardio? Nah, stationary bike doing zone two cardio, which is basically like, 110 to 130 beats per minute for me so it's Mm. it's just steady state cardio um i generally end up biking like nine and a half miles on my stationary bike in 25 minutes and nice call it pretty good from there yeah i wear a heart rate monitor so i can track keep track my heart rate to make sure i'm not pushing too hard or not hard enough so it, it works out pretty well yeah that's pretty cool yeah, how about you? What, what's going on with you? Well, in my babble like Butterbur, I guess I... Uh, man, we we have a busy weekend coming up. It's Easter weekend, which when you work at a church, that is like the Super Bowl. So uh, I'm going to be working <laughs> a lot this week. We also had a mission trip meeting that I'm leading um, on Tuesday night, obviously with students on Wednesday night. Then we'll have a service on Saturday, two on Sunday. So it's going to be a busy week as far as work goes, but uh, Ariel and I are doing good. We're trying to recover from vacation in Virginia. We ate like crap, and so now we're trying to switch that back around and eat a little bit healthier. As far as working out goes, I lifted for the first time on Wednesday from the vacation, and it wasn't great. didn't feel horrible, but you know, it wasn't, wasn't great by any means. I was doing squats. I did uh, what I do. Three, I think I did three thirty-five for three sets of six. So I tried to like not overkill it, you know, in the sense, in the hopes of not being too sore. But then today I tried squatting, and it was just so painful because <laughs> I was so sore. Yeah. I only did three fifteen for two sets of five, and called it good because I was just done. Um, but yeah, 
so yeah yeah once you once you lift a couple more times it'll it'll ease up on the soreness but yeah that's my hope that's, that's my hope. yeah how was uh how was vacation virginia isn't it it is pretty yeah it's really good um yeah, we went to the beach. We decided to go to Colonial Williamsburg, see some history, which was pretty cool. You know, buildings where, you know, people like Thomas Jefferson and Abraham Lincoln hung out and made plans and uh, stuff like that, which, you know, it's always really cool. Like, Colorado didn't really have much history, you know, moving to no, Kentucky. there's to Virginia. Yeah, yeah. I mean, moving to Kentucky, there's a lot more history than Colorado even. And then, you know, being able to just drive to Virginia in a day. I will say the drive there was super sketchy, like through West Virginia mountains and stuff, because it was raining the entire time. That's the longest I've ever driven through rain, eight and a half hours, just straight rain. Oh, geez. And then like near the top of the pass was like super foggy. So it was (laughs) hard to see. And then of course, when it got pitch black, it was like a little sketchy. Ariel was actually listening to like a Dateline podcast about a like mudslide flooding that happened in California <laughs> while we're driving. And then she's like, I have to turn this off. This is too real. <laughs> Man, she was that, freaking out. That, that actually does sound kind of terrifying. I mean, we're used to driving in the mountains and stuff, but it, I know what it's like to drive through dense fog and mm-hmm. pouring rain at night. I mean, that must've been pretty rough. Yeah, it was wasn't ideal but we got through it and then when we got back home a tornado went over our neighborhood on wednesday so that was i saw that video that you sent me that's wild it was funny because we got the notice that frankfurt like 20 miles away was under tornado watch or tornado (laughs) warning and so we had students at the time and we sent all the students home at like 8 50 instead of normally like 9 15 but two students two middle school girls were still there and we called their parents and they're like oh we're already sheltered in our basement do you mind just holding on to them <laughs> can you can you keep our kids <laughs> i was like sure I'll, I'll keep the yeah we'll we'll hang out here i mean the church is probably safer than their house anyway just the size of it but true true i mean we so we stayed there for another hour while it was pouring rain and windy and apparently a tornado that never touched downs thankfully but pretty wild man Pretty wild. Yeah, it's, never had to deal with that in Colorado crazy. either. <laughs> I mean, out east they get tornadoes every now and then, but not oh, anything like what you've experienced. And we didn't really even count eastern Colorado as part of Colorado, right? <laughs> yeah, it's Kansas. Yeah. Well, let's jump into our next segment: riddles in the dark. I got a good All one right. for you, Seth. Let's hear. Why? It, why did Gollum begin calling? The ring, it's his precious. See, this is a joke, so or a riddle, so it's not straightforward. Uh, Maybe it is. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Why do you start I, I calling know. it his precious? His precious. Because that was the only thing that he had. <laughs> he had a loincloth. Like his only possession. <laughs> he had a loincloth, yeah. And some fish. And some bat's wings. <laughs> I, I don't no, know. Uh, it, well, it's simply just because it had a nice ring to it. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. All right. All right. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I'll play there. That was an easy one. All right. What do you got for me? Yeah, I, I should have gotten that one, honestly. Um. So this is a little down the nerdy path. Uh, So I I wouldn't be surprised if you can't nail it. But 
You're saying I'm not a what nerd? Did, I don't know about this far. What did Galadriel say to Celeborn when he asked her what her ring was called? None of your business. Oh, shoot. You got that. Did I really? Yeah. None of your business. It's yeah. It's, yeah. The, the and then Gandalf. Ninja. And then Gandalf chimed in, are you kidding me? <laughs> to which Elrond interjected, will you please be quiet? <laughs> so again, that's pretty nerdy. I'm impressed you got that. That's pretty nerdy, but that's in reference uh, to the three rings for the elven kings yes. or elven lords under the sky. So Narya is, uh, or I'll start with Nenya is... Gladriel's ring, it's like the ring of protection and growth and stuff like that. Gandalf's mm-hmm. ring is Narya, which is the ring of fire, um, which he uses to battle the Balrog. Oh, and then yeah, Elrond's yeah. ring is Vilya, which is the ring of healing, which is why he's been blessed as like uh, the best healer in Middle-earth. So Nice, nice. I, I probably would have gotten but... the other two. Oh, you no, nailed that's... the first one, though. Well, because... I remember you played with that elf deck and <laughs> you put Ninja on Gladriel. And so like I remember it had like really good really good like powers in the card game. Yep. Well, so I just remember hating seeing it come come up. <laughs> <laughs> we taught you something. Yeah. That's cool. I like it. All right. Well, well let's go ahead and jump into the meat and potatoes here. Um oh, come so on, come lore. on. You got it. You gotta say it right. No, no, no. Potatoes. There you go. Uh, So this is the lore section. Uh, We decided this time to break down the music of the Ainur, which uh, is the creation of Arda, which in turn turns into Middle-earth. Middle-earth is part of Arda. Uh, So this is from the Silmarillion. It's kind of the very beginning. It's a pretty pretty dense chapter to understand there's a lot of moving parts that don't really make a whole lot of sense so we thought we'd kind of summarize it for you and interject with little comments that we find interesting about this process and how tolkien created this entire world yeah and i will say too like the writing style is you can tell it's way different than Lord of the Rings or the Hobbit. Like rather than, I mean, he is telling a story, but it's not the same kind of storytelling you see in the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. It's not the detailed, like, Oh, look at what everything's going on. It's more so like kind of honestly what you'd see like in a, in a religious text, like the Bible um, a little bit too, just, just straightforward, but with all that kind of older style of writing, um, especially when Ilavatar talks to, you have a lot of the these and arts and thous and stuff like that. Yeah, I noticed that too. I was obviously you don't want to interject too much with, you know, the allegory, but the undertones are definitely there. Um yeah. which yeah. you know, that's what Tolkien wanted was for us to be able to make that association if if we wanted to, but not to have it forced upon us. Right. So yeah, definitely. Definitely. All right, so kind of just at the very beginning of uh, of the world, Tolkien brings in this character named Eru Iluvatar, and Eru is, he's the one. So we're going to go ahead and make an allegory just to make it, you know, kind of connect the dots a little bit. He's he's God, he's Jesus. He's yep. He is the being that's there before the world. Um, and 
because he was uh, there before the world, he had the ability to create everything. So he decided to create the Ainur or the Holy Ones. And these were beings that I guess would be kind of comparable to angels if, if we're sticking along that term. Um, but these Ainur were beings that he created uh, that would be kind of like in his image and, but think for themselves and they would work together to create this world. Um, so the way Tolkien goes about describing this process is actually through music. I think that's pretty interesting. I mean, the fact that he is creating the world and the beings through song and melody through something like, I mean, I, I, I was thinking about this earlier. I don't know a single person who doesn't like music. I mean, obviously there's so many different kinds of music. People like different kinds of music, but I've never met somebody who just doesn't like any kind of music, who doesn't like start, you know, dancing or moving to something, some kind of rhythm. Cause you, I think that's just innately a part of our being. And I think Tolkien felt that definitely and wanted to say, Hey, we can, we can create with, with this music. So I thought that was really interesting how he used that as the form of, of creation. Um, but yeah, he, he did awesome music. He created a wonderful uh, harmony and the Ainur just wanted to be a part of it. They started singing along with it. And as they listened more deeply to Ilavatar, they understood better and were able to kind of gain his knowledge and start singing along with his melodies even greater than before. And then Iru does something interesting. He creates the imperishable flame. So this, as you might know it a bit more as the secret fire, that's what Gandalf calls it when he's fighting the, Bal the Balrog. He says, I'm a servant of the secret fire, wielder of the flame of Arnor. So there's that tie-in. Um, but the secret fire uh, gave power, uh, was, was given... To, a, to give power of life and, and substance, and he would grant free will to his, his children, which we'll get into in a little bit. But um, this is kind of an alternate name for, for Tolkien's Holy Spirit, if you will. Um, Clyde Kilby had an interview with Tolkien, and Tolkien pretty much said that um, the word is meant to be holy in the Silmarillion. Very specifically, he said that the secret fire is sent to burn at the heart of the world in the beginning, and it was the the Holy Spirit, if you will. So that's a interesting, interesting, interesting little tidbit that I found. Yeah. So that's I mean that's basically Eru's um, spirit that keeps everything functioning. Um, so with without without this secret fire, there is no there is no no Arda. There is no world that is being created through through this music. Um, it does need to be mentioned that not all of the Ainur were of like mind with Iluvatar, um, no, or Eru, no, no, no. as he's called. Um, so this is kind of where he introduces the big bad guy of the Silmarillion, which is he's really the the main uh, villain, if you will, of the First Age. Uh, and Honestly, that's the best villain, I'd say. Like, I mean, Sauron's pretty bad, but I mean, Melkor, like this dude. This this dude was something different. Yeah, he really was. I mean, without going too far into it, uh, Sauron was a servant of Melkor, so Melkor was <laughs> he was he was a step above. Yeah, um, so being being one of the direct Einar, uh, Melkor was part of this part of this music that was being 
that was being created. And he got to interject his own music. And unlike the rest of the Ainur who are working with, who are working with Eru and his thoughts and trying to make a beautiful melody and sing in harmony and create something together, Melkor kind of had a mind of his own and he really wanted to, I guess, interject his own desires and wants for this, for this world that was being created. So he kept trying to fill the void um, of this world that was not yet finished being created with his own purpose. And he started to create discord in the music. So think like, you know, a great harmony and, you know, like a fantastic symphony going on. And then you've got me in the corner with the keyboard, just smashing keys, um, trying to make up my own thing. It's not gonna, it's not gonna sound great. So yeah. Yeah. Tolkien says the two melodies were at an utter variance. So very opposite of, of the two. Yeah. That's, that's actually a great way of saying it. Um, his, his music was like a raging storm against the other, music that was being created um and he he's doing this for purely selfish reasons he wants to he wants to create um his own his own aspect to this world that just is not in accordance to to eru's wishes yeah it's funny how it takes literally a page and a half for one of the beings to be selfish and i don't know if that was like Tolkien's way again this is my interpretation and that's what Tolkien wanted us to be able to do with this stuff but my interpretation is like yeah human beings are just flawed like because we have the ability to create we just do that for selfish reasons and he probably saw this a lot like in his world people cutting down trees and you know trying to just do things for themselves I mean at least the way I I respond to okay it takes a page and a half for people to be selfish is he's just really making that a very obvious observation of humanity and and our flaws but yeah you continue yeah no i i think that's a good point i mean he's got to create a villain and no better way to create a villain than doing something that you know is highly relatable to us humans where you know we see something but we want to mold it to how we want it versus how you know maybe it was meant to be um yep so basically, Eru is aware of this. He knows he he hears the discord that that Melkor is um, tossing in there. He's completely aware of it. Um, so he decides to step in and begin a new theme of music. And so the other Einor kind of take a step back and just listen to this new theme. And the way Tolkien describes it is, it rose up amidst the storm created by Melkor and was like any theme that Einor had heard before. Uh, so Melkor begins to fight back and it, just think of like escalating tensions. I mean, the music that, that Eru is creating is being put in there that is going, uh, you know, fighting against Melkor, but Melkor is a powerful, powerful Einor. He's actually the most powerful as we'll get to in a little bit, but these different wills are just contesting back and forth and back and forth. And at one point, the other Einor actually thought that, uh, that Melkor had the mastery of the music and they were, they were terrified to the point of silence. And that's when Eru arose again and created a third strand. And this, this third theme was different than all the other themes. And so if you think about like 
tensions are just building up, building up, building up between Eru and Melkor. And then this third one that Eru starts, uh, Tolkien describes it for, it seemed at first soft and sweet, a mere rippling of gentle sounds and delicate melodies, but it could not be quenched. And it took its, and it took to itself power and profundity. Um, so it was, it was more of like a quiet, a quiet power versus, you know, the other escalations from the t- different themes that were, that were battling. This one was much more soft, but it was even more powerful. Yeah. And then, and then it Tolkien went on to say like Melkor pretty much just by the violence of his voice tried to drown out Ilavatar. And I mean, that, that makes me think of like, you know, a, a, a petty fight that, you know, maybe we've had even like where I'm just like, you might be making really good sense, but I'm just like, I'm going to be louder than you. I'm going to scream at you and, and try to win the argument that way, just by being loudly in the violence in my voice. And I kind of see that with Melkor here, like Ilavatar is obviously like saying, Hey man, I'm, I'm creating something really, really good. And Melkor is like, but listen to me, listen to me. I'm trying to be so much louder. And obviously it, it didn't sound nearly as good. Yeah. And it's kind of that whole being calm in the face of adversity, you know, it, he, he, and Eru by he, I mean, Eru ends up winning this, I, I don't know, battle because he was calm and provided the, this, the more quiet power, as opposed to just like you're saying, shouting and trying to escalate things. Yeah. And so Eru actually ends up speaking and this is, I thought it was a pretty good et- excerpt that really describes kind of what's going on. And it was, this is Eru speaking. He says, mighty are the Ainur and mightiest among them is Melkor, but that he may know all the Ainur that I am Iluvatar. Those things that ye have sung, I will show them forth that ye may see what ye have done. And though Melkor shall see no theme may be played that hath not its uttermost source in me nor can any alter the music in my despite. For he that attempteth this shall prove but mine instrument in devising things more wonderful, which he himself hath not imagined. So that's basically, (laughs) I mean, for lack of better term, that's all things are created for his good, right? Yeah, he was taking control and he he was saying like, hey, you may maybe think that this is yours. You maybe think that like you have control over this, but in reality, it's, it's my thing still, dude. Like you talk about like lumping, burning coals on your enemy. You just kind of like embarrass them in front of everybody. Like whatever you made, like it's still going to be for my good, not yours. And there's another, another excerpt a little bit later when he's, when Eru's talking to another Einar and kind of explaining it. But yeah, it's it's a fascinating way of going about it where it's like, yeah, you can change things, but in the end they're gonna they're still of me and they will still work to my purposes. Yeah. Um so even though like there's this big battle going on, which if you if you think about it, it'd be really crazy just to witness as the other Ainur, like Melkor, just complete opposition of of God, so to speak, and then Ilavatar's like I mean, he, he puts him in his place, but at the same time, he doesn't really chastise him. Like, he doesn't, like, you know, punish him for, for doing something different. He just kind of, like, lets it go. And I'm sure there was probably this, like, awkward tension between everybody else. Like, uh, well, that was that was weird. But, you know, <laughs> what they created, they actually couldn't see yet. Levatar had to reveal it to him. 
Yeah, so it was basically just a vision. It wasn't the actual creation of the world yet. It was they were creating this music that was laying the foundations for the world and what it was going to be like, but it wasn't actually like the physical manifestation of of this world or of Arda. Eru showed the Ainur the world that they had created through the vision, and he gave them power to see what was, what is, and is to come, which is kind of fun because that's what Gladriel says about her mirror right. in the Fellowship. Um, that's right. So I thought that was a kind of a fun connection. Um, but there were things that Eru kept to himself. Um, so in every age, there were things that he didn't reveal to them that that were going to be new, that he did not allow any foretelling, and that they couldn't. Um, figure out right off the bat so he wanted to kind of let them discover things as well and not just be all-knowing beings yeah Um, i love the the excerpt there he says that in every age there come forth things that are new and have no foretelling um, for they don't proceed from the past i just thought that was kind of interesting you know mention that it's like there's things that like because you look at like some of the elves and lord of the rings even like Elrond with the gift of foresight still can't see everything. Gandalf with his, you know, distance vision, his distance seeing still can't see everything. Um, and Ilavatar created it that way. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's a good connection. Yeah, he he wanted them to, like I said, they they don't know everything, but they they definitely know a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And what's kind of crazy is as they watched this vision that Eru was showing them about their creation they thought that they were doing it just for the beauty of the music. They didn't actually realize that they were creating a world at the time. Um, so they were creating think, a world. F- sorry. Do you think Melkor had some idea what they were doing? Cause I mean, obviously he wanted to create his own music. He wanted to make it his own thing, but do you think he in the back of his mind kind of knew what was going on? That's a good question. Cause he is the wisest and most powerful of all the Ainur and understood the mind of Eru better than anyone else. But I think it just kind of goes back to what we just talked about and that Eru didn't want to reveal everything. Um, I feel like if they knew they were creating the world for the children of Iluvatar, which we'll get to in a second, if they knew that they might've done things slightly different. So they were just trying Mm -hmm. to create this beautiful thing, which in turn just happened to be the world but i guess you know they might have they might have changed things up a little bit if they thought it was for something other than just the pure beauty of it i don't know that's an interesting thought though i don't know just the way that like you read it it almost feels like he's got a a very certain intention with this and then he's obviously we'll get into it here in a little bit but like once he does go to earth he's like just doing the exact same thing, just opposing everything that the Ainur and Ilavatar want. But I'll let you continue. Yeah, no, I, I I, almost wonder if as things were revealed to him that his purposes changed. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like he just wanted to be the one that was admired because he went against Eru and created something in his mind that was better. Yeah. But then once he realized that they're building a world for the children of Ilavatar then his mind changed to, you know, everything that we'll get to here in a little bit. Yep. Um, so, yeah. Anyways, the children of Iluvatar are actually the firstborn, which are the elves, and the followers which come who come later, and those are men. So, of all the beings in, in Middle-earth and Arda, 
the only ones that are created directly by Iluvatar are the elves and the men. So that's why they're considered the children. And the Ainur didn't know anything about this uh, initially. Uh, so when they started to see them, they realized that there were they were strange and free and of the mind of Iluvatar, they were able to see that reflected in the children. Um, so I thought that was an interesting thing that they, they saw the reflection of Iluvatar's mind within the children. Yeah. Kind of created in his own image in a, in a sense. Yeah. Um, so then Melkor, once he realizes what's up and realizes that what they're doing is actually creating the world, he desires to go to Arda and actually be a being on the earth that they're creating. Um, and he feigns this since, you know, I'll order all things for the good of the children of Ilavatar. I will do it within the, you know, the scope and the desires of Eru. But his real purpose was he wanted he saw lesser beings than him and he wanted to, wanted to subdue them to his will. Um, he wanted to have subjects and slaves and be called Lord. Yep. So that's where you see kind of all the discord that Melkor is causing. Now he's trying to adapt it towards, you know, the children who are the, you know, the loved beings that Eru has created. Which again, you'd think the Ainur would be like, well, I don't know, maybe maybe take a back seat on this one. <laughs> but they just they just let him go. <laughs> yeah. Because some about of them did too. stay. Some of some of the Einar did stay in the presence of Ilavatar, kind of I don't want to say in heaven, but wherever he resided. Like some of them did want to stay there, but a lot of them did go down to Arda. And Melkor obviously was was one of those that said, Hey, I'll I'll go. I, I will sacrifice for the better of Ilavatar when he right. was planting su- to support supplant them all along <laughs> nice um, Denethor. Denethor, yep no i got you i got you okay um <laughs> <laughs> so basically the einor uh when they looked upon arda this vision of arda they saw the colors the roaring sea the winds in the air the oars of the mountains and the water and they realized that like what we've created is beautiful um and it's said by the Eldar, who are the first or the oldest of the elves. There's all different types of elves, but the Eldar are the original elves that in the water yet lives the echo of the music of the Ainur. So that's why the elves, and you probably get this in, you know, just from watching Lord of the Rings, but they're always going towards the sea. They're always, they have that longing to go to the sea, which goes much deeper Um than what we're going to get into now. But I thought that was interesting that that's where the echo of the music still lives and, and they can hear that. Yeah. Is that, I'm trying to remember, is that how Ar- Arwen is able to, well, Arwen or Glorfindel, depending on which, which version you go with, uh, is able to draw the power of the river when the Nazgul are, well, is that something different? So technically it's Elrond that does that. Oh, you're right, um, you're right. But I think so. I think that they, the elves have some mastery over, um, over the elements in a way. Because and as you go through the the other three, so Ulmo was the Einor that turned his thought most deeply towards the water and was instructed by 
Ilovatar and his music. So he was the one that was creating the sea and the rivers and he loved the water. That's where when he was singing his, his theme, that's where all his focus was. Yep. Um, Manway, who is actually a very important character and believe it or not, is the brother of Melkor in Eru's mind. So I don't know if they're actually brothers or what it is, but they're kind of. Yeah. I felt like when I read it, it was more so like they, I mean, obviously Melkor is still a bit more powerful, but they were kind of like, like, these are my, these are my two guys. These are my most, most powerful beings. They're almost like counterparts, right? Like, Mm. like Manway is the one that stayed faithful to Eru's wishes. Whereas Melkor went off and did his own thing, but they're equal beings in a way. Faramir and Boromir. Uh, close. Uh, yeah. I... <laughs> That's probably it. It's a broken um, Yeah, Close enough, though. So Manway gave his love to the air and the wind, and as he sang, he was the most noble of the Ainur, kind of like we had, we had just touched on. He's the one mm-hmm. that is super powerful, but he remained faithful to Eru's wishes. And then there is Aule, who is considered the smith, and he was focused on the fabric of the earth, and he was given skill and knowledge in the deeds of making, but making for the delight of the thing made and not for his own possession or mastery. So he didn't care to create for himself. He wasn't selfish. He gave freely. He didn't hoard anything, but he was the greatest smith. He could just create. Um and he actually helps, uh, I believe it is Feanor, um, create the Silmarils. Yeah. Uh, he teaches him how to create the Silmarils, uh, which, again, <laughs> is a little deeper than we're going to get into today. But yeah. um, And then there's Melkor, which this is another excerpt that is a discussion between Ulmo, who is the Lord of the Waters, uh, or, uh, yeah, the Lord of the yeah. Waters, and then... Um, Eru, who's discussing Melkor. And so I'm just going to read this little excerpt. I thought it was absolutely beautiful. Seest thou not how here in this little realm in the deep, deeps of time Melkor hath made war upon thy province? He hath brought him of bitter cold and moderate, and, hath, and yet hath not destroyed the beauty of thy fountains, nor thy clear pools. Behold the snow and the cunning work of the frost. Melkor hath devised heats and fires without restraint, and hath not dried up thy desire, nor utterly quelled the music of the sea. Behold rather the height and glory of the clouds, and the ever-changing mists, and listen to the fall of rain upon the earth, and the clouds thou art drawn near, nearer to Manway thy friend who thou lovest. And so this is basically Eru saying, check it out. He tried to ruin this stuff, but everything is through me. And the heat, the cold, the snow, it's all things that Melkor tried to corrupt that I turned into something beautiful. And that harkens um, back to the beginning, too. Like when Ilvatar told him that, you know, like everything is going to be mine even still. Like you can do your best, do your darndest, and it's still going to be mine. But that's what I was talking about. Like just the like, just the old speech you get from Ilavatar. I mean, you can tell <laughs> Tolkien's really trying to create this character as as much older and and more, you know, wise and and stuff. Because in Olmo's response, I'll just I'll just read it. I mean, it, you don't see yeah, yeah. nearly the same kind of language. 
Um, that's a, that's a good as, point, actually. Yeah, almost as truly, water has become now fairer than my heart imagined. Neither had my secret thought conceived the snowflake, nor in all my music was contained the falling of the rain. I will seek Manway, that he and I may make melodies for ever to thy delight. And there's only like one old word in his speech as opposed to like the 12 <laughs> or 15 in, in Ilavatar's. Yeah, it's definitely a lot harder to read Ilavatar's, yeah. you know, whenever yeah. he's quoting him. But that's a good point. He's He's kind of the oldest and wisest being who's just through Tolkien's, the way he writes, he's making a distinction between them. Mm. So then, yeah, Ilvatar, like, they they create the world, right? So the Einar creates the world, and they see everything's becoming beautiful, everything's going good, and then, of course, our buddy Melkor <laughs> decides, like, I'm going to try to do everything opposite of you guys so you know if the einar created a lake he would try to flood the lake or or even like drain the lake you know if they created a valley he would destroy the valley he would you know mountains he'd destroy that he, he was just doing anything he could to be opposing everything that ilvatar wanted and and what we see is that in the eyes of melkor they were like a flame and they withered with heat and pierced with a deadly cold. And I think it's also interesting, like all of the villains in Tolkien's world, you see it in their eyes. Like you see it in the eyes of Gollum, you know, how they turn from their, their white to the green, you know, he, he's mm-hmm. very, dis- very descriptive with the eyes, which I think is a very uh, interesting Except way to for the Nazgul. S- well, they don't have eyes. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's fair. They don't, they don't have eyes, but. You know, that's that's kind of what I've noticed is that like his his villains he really likes to focus in on the eyes and and I mean if you think about that like deathly cold with like a white flame I mean that's that's pretty intense but again Melkar was trying to corrupt everything that was getting made um, but his it, Tolkien said his the the Einor the Einor's work was not necessarily in vain right their will and purpose was wholly fulfilled and all things were in hue and shape other than the Valar at first intended. Slowly, nonetheless, the earth was fashioned and made firm, and thus was the habitation of the children of Ilavatar established at the last in the depths of time and amidst the innumerable innumerable stars. So we have the world. We have um, Arda. Yeah, this as, is kind of where it all comes to, comes to fruition here. Yeah, Middle Earth will come later as we have some serious... Uh, acts of God happen here in a little <laughs> bit, but uh, yeah, this is this is the world, and this is also the time where where the Ainur um, go down to Earth. So this is where um, they're going to go down and kind of create the mastery uh, of the song and try to put it into practice because the world is just kind of the world, and they have to create it because the vision wasn't a hundred percent what was going to happen. It was that they had to go down and work the world kind of like a farmer works, you know, his crops to create it. Um, so in doing so the Einor became the Valar and I'm sure people have heard that term if they've watched Lord of the Rings and the Valar are powers of the world. They kind of help shape the world. Um, they're actually huge players, uh, going forward in the Silmarillion. It's who the elves basically worship, uh, 
later on the undying lands that you hear of in Lord of the Rings. That's where the, the Valar live. Um, so the Valar, when they decided to go down to the world, um, they were actually, uh, their power was limited to the, conf- to the, be confined to the, the realm of the world. So they weren't able to ever go back to be with Eru, um, Ilavatar until the end of time, which unfortunately Tolkien never really fleshed out properly. Um, but they're basically the main players going forward. I think it's interesting that he confined their power to be like the power of uh, of the world. I mean, you you look at some of those characters and the power that they had in the presence of Ilavatar, as opposed to the power that they get when they're at Middle Earth, is is much different. Um, or not Middle Earth, excuse me, Arda. But um, yeah, so this is how Arda was created. This is how the world that our fellowship walked um, started. And so it's really where we wanted to start our podcast is to just start at the beginning, start at the beginning of, of Tolkien's world. And even though he didn't start at the beginning, he actually wrote this after he wrote Lord of the Rings. So he kind of backtracked with his, his creation of his world, but I'm sure he had this all in his he brain. Actually, or was it just published later? Um, I know it was could... published after, but I think he was actually writing this prior. I don't know. Either Might way. Have. Yeah. I mean, yeah, either way. It came out after, and you know, it kind of goes in line with it all. And like I said, we wanted to start at the beginning. It's a lot to it's a lot to understand and try to put your mind around. I mean, it's very complex, and there's a lot of hints at things later that aren't well fleshed out in this early chapter. Yeah, but it's it's really good to get this as a framework for just again the powers that be especially melkor he's gonna be playing a huge part moving forward and so getting his origin story so to speak uh, is super helpful <laughs> as people are trying to understand the events of the silmarillion children of hurin uh baron and luthien especially like those those newer books that christopher tolkien just put out for his death um yeah he's he's a big big player in those in those books yep most definitely well, that concludes the meat and potatoes of this podcast. Now is a time where Gondor calls for aid. We're breaking into the halls of Metaseld, and we're asking. Gondor calls for aid. So will you, Rohan, answer? And if you enjoyed the podcast, please light the beacon by sharing it with fellow friends and fans. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to share your Tolkien story uh, with us, you can share that and email it to me. This has not changed. I apologize. Moldenshower <laughs> at gmail.com. M-O-L-D-E-N shower at gmail.com. That will change probably. That's a bad nickname that I got in high school that probably needs to go away. Needs to be put to death, I think. But <laughs> later, on. <laughs> Wait, later, later on, I guess. <laughs> If this is your first time listening to our podcast and you want to hear our Tolkien stories, just jump back on our first our first podcast where Seth and I both kind of explain how we got into Tolkien. Well, with that, we bid you a very fond farewell. Thank you for joining us in this deep dive into the creation of Middle Earth. We'll see you next time for some more well-earned comforts. Welcome, my lords.
to the Well-Earned Comforts Podcast. I'm Seth. And I... <laughs> what? <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. Maybe you need to leave that in there. Try, try again. <laughs>